take thou authority to preach the gospel. Indeed, I look upon all the world as my parish. Welcome to our latest episode of Field Preachers. This is Rachel Gilmore, your host, coming to you from Path One at Discipleship Ministries with another one of our final, guys, I promise this is like our final pre-COVID podcast recording that I'll be sharing with you. But again, this content was so amazing. I didn't want to keep it hidden and locked away from you guys. And so today you're going to hear from two of my friends from my home conference, uh, Virginia. And what I love about what they shared is, yes, they shared in February before COVID and the the shutdown and everything else and all that we are experiencing this week. Oh my goodness, guys. But uh, they both come from like a a multi-site paradigm or approach to church planting. And for one of them, it's been really great. Like he talks about how they plan and coordinate sermons together and what their working relationship is like. For the other church, um, well, they've had a good relationship along the way. They've actually uh, begun the process to officially separate from their mother church. And so she talks a little bit about that and what it's like to overcome changes and to adapt when the church plant or the community or the anchor church or other factors change and pivot. And so I think that's really important. Jake also shares a little bit about his Peace Corps experience, how that's changed him. Michelle talks a little bit about grit and resilience and how that's helped her. And then they both share at the end about the importance or what they learned from our time together on this early Methodism pilgrimage for planters that we did what feels like years and years ago, even though it was just in February. Um, And what I appreciate about what they shared is um, and you'll hear it yourself, so and then we'll go into it more. But the importance of finding a tribe, like finding people that understand what you're going through, who can empathize with you, encourage you, walk alongside you. So if you haven't found that kind of community yet, reach out, let me know, friend me on Facebook, and I'll put you into our UM Church Planter Facebook group where we do a lot of that encouraging, free webinars, other resources, ways for you to connect. And then we also hear, and this was like before George Floyd, before we saw um, more thankfully, passion and energy directed towards the Black Lives Matter movement. But um, Jake talks a little bit about how this pilgrimage revealed the racism and the the need for reconciliation uh, in our future, if in fact reconciliation is possible, because I know reconciliation means returning to a previous state of equality or mutuality or health in a relationship. And we've never really had that in the church when it comes to race relations. There's never been a time of equality, but it's something that we can hope for, pray for, work for in the future. Um, So anyways, listen in. I hope you love what they had to say as much as I did. And thanks again for joining us at Field Preachers. Hi, and welcome to this latest episode of Field Preachers. I am so proud and honored to be here with Field Preachers from the great state of Virginia, which is where I also happen to be an elder. So I have coerced them. Uh, Maybe it took some beverages that I think they had to purchase. I'm so bad. But we're in a good place. And we are, I really want you to hear more about their stories and talk honestly and openly about the status of church planting in the United Methodist Church in the Commonwealth of Virginia. So without further ado, those of you who are anxiously waiting to know who my two surprise guests are, uh, we have Jake and Michelle. Why don't you take a minute, introduce yourself, talk about your plant a little bit, where it's located, how long you've been doing this crazy, important, innovative work. Hey, uh, so my name is Michelle Matthews and uh, I am recently an elder 
in the Virginia Conference, um, just ordained in June. Uh, but I was uh, called into this um, church planning thing, I believe, um, many years ago, actually because of Rachel. Uh, so like my first... Um, yeah, I was sucked in. Uh, so I, my call comes out of Rachel Gilmore's church plant, the gathering, um, and from Virginia beach. And then I went off to seminary, um, didn't do a single field ed placement. Let's mention we're all at Duke at Duke. Yes. But I did not do a single field ed placement, um, at Duke that was not a church plant. Um, and I watched, uh, one of them fail. Um, another one of them fail. Um, one of them become very successful and the pastor is currently the, the developer in North Carolina. And, um, and now I'm back in Virginia first appointment out of seminary, um, church plant. And, um, you know, I've always wanted to do this thing, um, since I was at the gathering. And, uh, so it, you know, the glamour in it was there. And, um, but I came into a context that is, um, not at all what I expected. So I know we're going to get into more of that. Who are you? Who am I? (laughs) That is the question. I, um, my name is Jake McLaughlin. Uh, I am the pastor of Restoration Church. Uh, we are a new church plant um, in Loudoun County, Virginia, in the Dulles South uh, area. Uh, we have been at it for a little bit. Um, well, we'll be uh, hitting one year of weekly worship uh, really soon, uh, but we started probably about eight months before that. So, um, uh, this is my first appointment. Uh, I was before this, uh, I was, uh, the director of outreach and missions for a local congregation. Um, and I moved into church planting, um, right from finishing licensing school and getting appointed and I'm a licensed local pastor too. So, uh, but an amazing yeah. one. Yeah. Eh. Ah, yeah. Depends so, on who you ask. So I time. think Jake is an incredible church planter and so is Michelle. And I can talk about the reasons why I think you guys are incredible. But something we have in common is we were both in the Peace Corps. And I feel like the Peace Corps, <laughs> Michelle is a three. So the affirmation is no problem for her. From a three to a three, I'm like, wow, yes. You make me blush, Rachel. Um, but how do you think the Peace Corps prepared you? for church planting? Yeah. So I was a Peace Corps volunteer. I'm an RPCV. Uh, I was in the Peace Corps. I was in the Republic of Armenia um, as a TEFL. That's a teacher of English as a foreign language uh, from 2003 to 2005. Um, You know, I think there's a couple things. One is um, people can smell bullshit from a mile away when you are um, living in a new culture. Uh, So I think uh, being real, uh, I don't like the word authentic. Uh, the word authentic just bothers me. So I'm going to try to stay away from that word. Um, but being real, I think is very important because, uh, I think people can just tell if you're full of it or not. Uh, the other thing I would say is, uh, it requires a great deal of listening and paying attention. And, uh, no doubt in our world, uh, do we go into many different situations in our lives? And this isn't just pastors. This is everybody where we go into a certain situation. We go into an environment, we go into a culture or a context and we go, Oh, I see the problems 
now I know how to fix them. You guys just listen to me. I know what's going on. And in the Peace Corps, you learn really quickly that anytime you go in with a mentality that you are solving other people's problems, um, you are going to fail miserably. Mm. And uh, I find that to be true in church planting as well. Um, so you have to have, um, you have to be able to listen and uh, try to understand what people's real what people's real hopes are, what their hurts are, what they're looking for in their lives. And, uh, you know, in, in a church planting situation, how how the church and a faith community might be a part of them realizing their full potential in, you know, in, in the kingdom of God. That's awesome. Well, I respect that about you. I, I've seen the way that that's born fruit in your local church plant context. Um, and so, Michelle, I would imagine, I don't know if you've done the grit scale, the grit test from Angela Duckworth, but... Oh, okay. So now I'm encouraging planters to take that. It's the shrimp and grit scale. Yeah, no. So it so measures. A grit. Are you a grit? You, Michelle. Or are you a shrimp? Are gritty. So it measures for two things, passion and perseverance. Um, and and I, I just love it. And hearing your story of church planting, I feel like without grit, you would not still be planting a church because you were appointed to an existing church plant in some ways. And yet it was kind of an extension of an anchor church. And there were some really difficult, you know, hard, tragic circumstances outside of your control that were there before you arrived. And so talk, you know, briefly about that and then where you are now and how you have persevered through all of these different um, struggles and challenges that you've had to face. Sure. Uh, so, uh, you know, Jake did a fabulous job of telling you immediately what church he served and how long he's been serving. I didn't do that. So I currently serve the Kingstown Communion um, in uh, the southernmost part of Alexandria. It's at the bottom of the D.C. Metro um, Metro line. It's the last stop, the southernmost stop on the D.C. Metro line. And um, I'm entering into my fifth year there. I'm halfway through my fifth year now. And so I um, was actually called uh, for this um, this gig in January of 2015 when I was only halfway through my um, my third year of seminary I had not gone before the board yet and I was already called um, because uh, tragically um, uh, this church plant which was at that point in time called Aldersgate Kingstown their planter uh, was diagnosed with stage four uh, cancer and went on immediate medical leave and needing to patch some holes, they began making calls very early. And uh, so the developer remembered me that I got a call and I said yes to this job five months before I, I finished seminary. Um, wow. <laughs> yes. Sorry to interject there, but holy smokes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Holy guacamole. Um, so though, yeah. So I said yes to the job they told me about on the phone. <laughs> that's the, that's the difference. The best kind of jobs. Yeah, so, most certainly. So it, all it was, I, I, I spoke with the, um, the senior pastor of the, the planting church Aldersgate uh, on the phone. He told me a little bit about it. It sounded just my kind of like, sounds like t sheer craziness going on there. I'm going to love that. I kind of like crazy. And so I, I said yes to this. It was until like a month and a half, two months later that all my other colleagues um, were interviewing for associate positions at other places. And I already had an appointment. And 
Fast forward to April, the time frame when everything is solidified and I um, sign, I go to sign the contract on my apartment that I'm moving into and I text the senior pastor of the church I'm serving. Hey, I think we found an apartment or a townhouse right in the Kingstown area. We're excited about it. Just want to let you know we're ready to sign a lease. He goes, whoa pause the brakes. We don't know if this thing is still happening. <laughs> and so, um, and that was in April, um, April of that year. So apparently the entire church had changed over the course of January to April, but I hadn't really been, I was away at seminary. So I didn't know what was happening at this church, but they were sending in, uh, various, pastors to preach and to maintain, but it wasn't consistent. And the, whatever the core looked like, um, before then had completely dwindled. And now about 10 people were worshiping in elementary school on Sunday mornings, um, paying $300 a week, um, to rent the space plus another $350 a week for a bluegrass band leading 10 people a week in worship. And, uh, and so they didn't know whether they were going to keep it open or not. Um, about two weeks later, I got a phone call from the DS that told me they were in fact keeping it open. No, you haven't missed the window of opportunity for a good appointment this year. Uh, cause I was, I was freaking out, but instead we are going to, we're going to make this a relaunch. And so, um, came to one worship service uh, with 10 people. And then the very next week, we closed the doors. We weren't meeting at the elementary school anymore. And we began meeting in my basement for the entire first summer um, that I was there. Uh, and what I learned quickly uh, in the context was that these people had begun to narrate the life of the church based on the life of the pastor bef um, before me, that it, if he, his, his death seemed impending. And at that point in time, um, he had a, a very serious diagnosis, um, with no remission in sight. And that seemed to be the life of the church in their mind. It, um, they, th they were one in the same, his life and the life of the church. There was, there were no, there was no separation. Um, so we worked through that in the summer. Um, and I began to ask the questions of what are the things that, you think made this community amazing? Like what are the things that you just want to cling to that gives you life? And what are the things that you hadn't thought about or maybe even began, you didn't have time to start addressing, but what are the things you'd leave behind? And um, through that, we discerned um, that one of the things that had been really hard is because Aldersgate Church was 25 minutes across town from Kingstown. Uh, it was like three neighborhoods. They like skipping over three neighborhoods to get to Kingstown because of that. Um, nobody knew Aldersgate and Aldersgate felt like this, this long off phenomenon over here telling us what to do that seemed nothing like our context. Um, and they were, you know, in, in the area in that zip code, these people are living in, um, 750,000 to um, 1.5 thousand or 1.5 million dollar homes. And in the area of Kingstown, this is where you move when you want to spend the least amount you can possibly spend <laughs> for a family in the DC metro area. And so um, it's just a completely different demographic. And so we decided from that to, to rename the church, the Kingstown Communion, without the name Aldersgate in it. And that began a process 
where we started to realize what was a multi-site, what was a multi-site, which is, has been, and we, we're going to get into this for Virginia, I think, which has been and is, and Jake has his own context of this, is the number one way that the, the Virginia conference has, has moved into church planting, has put their eggs in that basket, began a conversation that said, you know, I'm, I do not know the DNA of Aldersgate Church. I was not at Aldersgate for 10 years like Jason was. Um, what is my relationship to that church? What is this church's relationship to that church? 25 minutes across town. Is it possible to be something different than a multi-site? And um, now um, in the next six months, I skipped a lot of this time in super between. exciting. I know, but what is your next? A thing? lot of time in between because I will say it, um, my, that first year while I... It was the worst year of my life. <laughs> it was, the, it was, it, um, I went into therapy. I would say I would name that in the spring of 2016, I was legitimately clinically depressed. And, um, and now I can say that God has incredibly redeemed it. And we will be at the end of 2020, um, an independent congregation with our own, um, we're figuring out all the legal and the financial and the, the, um, structural things we got to get in place to make that happen. Um, and we will be financially sustainable at the end of 2020 and won't be a multi-site anymore. Right? Wow. Okay. So I have two really important questions that I'm like so fascinated to hear uh -huh. your input on because we might not agree on this, even though we're from the same conference, we're all planters. Yeah. Um, I agree that in the Virginia conference in particular, multi-siting has been our main strategy and and myself being more of a parachute drop because we were kind of separated. Yeah. You were earlier. Early. So if like I was 10 months, you were like two a month, yeah. <laughs> like two months, right? Like something like that. Yeah, I, I think it was March, April, May, June. Four months after Four we launched months. Weekly Worship, we were separated. Okay. So that really, right. you're not tied in in yeah. the same way. But so, you know, across our, not just our denomination, but other denominations, they say that multi-siting is the most effective strategy for birthing new faith communities. And I think we found that. Um, the the interesting part about Virginia, perhaps, is that a lot of our strong anchor churches that are birthing multi-sites don't always maintain that connection. So, Jake, you are maintaining that connection. Michelle, you're becoming more of your own independent. You're leading your congregation to more of an independent stance. Um, so in my mind, I'm like, well, it's still a really fruitful method, right? But is it worth that struggle of starting connected and then disconnecting? Is there another model that you see that would be valuable? Are you still firm supporters of what is commonly accepted as like one of the, the easiest um, or lowest risk approaches to starting new faith communities? You take this one. Yeah. I, so uh, we're multi-site. Uh, we're the third physical site. So we have our um, Herndon campus uh, that five years ago. Um, our Reston campus was started, and then we started an online campus, uh, and then uh, the third physical site, which is the campus that I'm responsible for. I think you know a couple things. One is um, what is the skin in the game for the what you're describing as the anchor church. So um, uh, our anchor church has uh, made a significant financial commitment to getting this thing started um, in addition to a pretty large launch team of people right so these are people who say who who have said uh, I'm going to make starting this new church a priority in my faith life 
Um, so I think those two things are absolutely necessary. You it's know, huge. And also talk a little bit about like your sermon prep and how you work with the other yeah. pastors of the other campuses. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, I would say, you know, part of, you know, part of this also is the sharing of administrative burdens and not administrative burdens, but administrative um, uh, operations and the like, which is very helpful. Um, I do not know what I would be doing if I was dealing with payroll, for example. Um, and God bless those who do that because you do not want me doing the math for taxes. Um, so as it relates to preaching, um, so that's actually something that has been incredibly fruitful that we started once we had the third site um, is we started doing a collaborative um, preaching model. So uh, we share, so we do sermon series, um, sermon series, we try to do them uh, in such a way where they're, you know, they're meaningful for people, where they're touching on important topics of the time, uh, but also looking at, you know, good, solid, theological, biblical themes. Um, so uh, we share that responsibility together. We share illustrations. Uh, we share um, outlines and exegetical work and drafts. Um, and that um, allows us to really build really great messaging. So um, just this last uh, this last series we just finished up was called God's Plan. And so we messed with it. You know, we kind of played around with this idea is, you know, is it God's plan to decide what you're going to have for cereal and what socks you're going to wear and you know all that or should we be paying more attention to God's will and so for over a three-week period we're really wrestling with this and um, the pastors the the six pastors um, on our team we get to wrestle with that as well and so before anything goes out to our congregation we're kind of you know, we're challenging each other. We're um, having really meaningful conversations. We're finding, you know, illustrations that uh, hopefully are really relevant to people's lives. Um, and so that's been, I, I will tell you that, that personally, as someone who went from preaching once or twice a quarter yeah. um, to preaching every week has drastically changed my preaching. I mean, well, I shouldn't even say that because I wasn't preaching really a lot before that. Like it is making me a good preacher. And, uh, I mean, I've got a lot of work to do, but it's awesome. I'm super lucky because I also work with really great pastors who preach really well. Yeah. I, uh, I, uh, taking exactly what you said, Jake, the, it has to do with how you're resourced and um, what uh, what are the expectations of the anchor, the mother, the 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 planting um, church? What what are what are the expectations of them? Um, what what is their responsibility? What are our responsibility to them? Um, I would say in my context that was not clear from the from the get go, and I think that that. Um, massively impacted, um, how we have stayed in connection. Yeah. We, um, when I got there, uh, I believe that, that my predecessor, Jason, now you have to think this is a, this is a relaunch. So predecessor is a weird word. I'm kind of a second pastor based on the, the historical Kingstown, the history of Kingstown and Virginia, but like it's, I'm, I'm also a first time planter because I started over and the people of the church would say only about maybe three of them know who, who, who Jason is. But uh, there was Jason was sent with some people, um, but it was like th like 25 to 30. And uh, 
and I would I when I came on, those people had already returned very exhausted and grieving back to Aldersgate because the pastor they had followed um, was now very sick. And so um, I didn't have them and Aldersgate didn't have the even the capacity or the the energy in itself to send more people or to get rallied around this vision. This and it wasn't even that I, at that point I had a new vision just everybody was so exhausted and so, so sad. And that kind of defined the church, the church at Aldersgate, the church in Kingstown. And so I had one person. Um, so when we, when I, when we planted in Kingstown, I mean, as far as people are concerned, if people are the resource, I, I, ha- I it was basically a parachute drop. Um, pe- people wise, I had one person that helped us on Sunday morning for maybe the first until we launched until we launched and then, then they went back and that person's not involved anymore. Um, but I, and resources wise, there were no particular expectations. So it seemed to be that it was, um, kind of just flying by whatever. And it was based on, um, the financial health of Aldersgate and where they were at whatever point in time, it may look like them at the end of the year, um, rolling up a $5,000 deficit we had from our, our loan, but it was never actually pledging money towards us. There was never anything budgeted by the mother campus for this campus. So there, that just, and there was no expectation from the conference and no, there were, there, that is the reality of the I think it's changing in Virginia now, though, right? It is changing. Well, and part of it is due to the work that you guys have done. So there's Mm -hmm. a document on our website that Virginia planters created about best practices Mm -hmm. for lead pastors of the anchor church Mm -hmm. about what to do. And one is to talk early on about the financial commitment and um, and to build, as you mentioned, Jake, those relationships and to work together and to share that administrative load. And so I think we're learning how to do it in healthier ways. Um, There's also another tool out there that's not connected to path one, but is a good resource called readiness 360 that evaluates anchor churches to say, okay, you're strong financially. You could plant a multi-site or you're strong with people or, but it tells you where you might not be as strong and gives you steps to take to prepare so that you know what you're getting into. Cause I don't think there's a lot of awareness. I mean, today, right. We were at strawberry shrine and, and one of the people that we met there didn't even know what church planting was or how it works in the United Methodist church. So we still have a lot of educating to do. Um, but in terms of a way you could educate me as my final question, because I feel like I could talk to you guys for hours. We probably will. When we're done with this podcast, we're going to keep hanging out um, at this Airbnb. But, uh, you know, I planted a decade ago. It kind of makes me like a grandma, like I'm old. I don't always know what's working now in terms of resources or books or, you know, what has inspired you or helped you as you have sought innovative ways to create community uh, in your context you want to share with other planters out there just starting out who might want to know um, what's been helpful to you that might be a great benefit to them as well? I'll go. Awesome. (laughs) So um, I think I fell into planting um, and, and part of it is because I really like starting stuff. Like I like, hey, there's a problem. Hey, there's an issue. Let's figure it out. Right. So um, I love being a church planter. I don't know if I would identify myself purely as a church planter, but I'm totally good with it. Right. So um, I and in the same time I've become a church planter, I've also become a pastor. And and so probably the best way I can answer this is by identifying the two things that help me be a better pastor. And um, the first one is CPE, clinical pastoral education. 
Um, without a doubt, uh, that utterly shaped my ability to be fully present and judgment free with people. Um, because if you always have an agenda, that agenda will be on your face. It'll be in what you say. It'll be in your actions towards the people that you meet. And it'll go into that same thing where, Hey, I know, I know what your problems are. Let me help you solve them. And CPE, um, really made me, um, just be able to listen and not be able to try to solve people's problems, but help, I help them identify what they were going through, what they were experiencing in such a way where I am kind of partnering with them, not, um, leading them in a particular direction. Right. So that's, I'd say that's the first thing. Um, the second thing I would say is, um, I got, uh, in 20, I guess it was in 2016, end of 2016, early 2017, I got trained in community organizing and I went to a training done by, um, the, uh, Metro IAF, which is the industrial areas foundation, um, which is, uh, an organization, an umbrella organization for many community organizing power institutions across the country. So in Washington, DC, there's an organization called win, um, in, uh, Montgomery County, Maryland, there's an organization called AIM, which is Action in Montgomery. In Virginia, there's an organization called Virginians Organized for Interfaith Community Engagement, which is called Voice. They've been training people on community organizing for decades. And um, so I went to a five-day training in New Jersey that was led by the co-director of the Metro IAF guy named Michael Geekin who wrote a book called uh, Going Public, which is a great read. It's very story driven. It's an amazing book. Um, I go into most trainings with a great deal of um, um, with an understanding that I'm not going to learn anything. Uh, I'll just be really honest. Like, so I remember going, taking the train up to New Jersey and I called my wife. It was a, it was a Monday morning and I was like, don't worry, honey, I'll be back on Tuesday because this is going to be dog shit and I'm just going to, you know, come back home. And, uh, uh, and I was absolutely enthralled for five straight days mm. because of the stuff that I learned and it was immediately applicable. Um, when you learn about power, when you learn about how to engage people, how to organize people, um, how to agitate in such a way that doesn't throw people off, but actually brings them in. Um, it was really, really helpful. So learning power dynamics and the likes, so that was amazing. So I would, I would encourage, um, you know, there are other types of trainings like asset based community development, um, you know, seminaries do their best in trying to teach people, you know, uh, good techniques and the like, though, I would say that many of them are probably lacking in really getting people to be entrepreneurial and, um, uh, really, um, uh, innovative, um, because they're also responsible for paying tuition, you know, getting tuition dollars and the like, and, uh, no judgment there, but there's a little judgment there, but you know, whatever. Uh, but I would say, I would say those two things, CPE and community organizing are probably the best things that I would encourage people to do. It's so <laughs> the same way that you did not like name a bunch of authors and book titles, I don't have any either. Um, I, I kind of a long time ago stopped 
reading church strategy books. Am I allowed to say that? Should I be saying that? Um, I read, I read, I read fiction if when I'm reading because I don't want to read about church stuff anymore. So I like, I reserve, I reserve my reading for, um, for, for pleasure, (laughs) for pleasure. But so I stopped reading those books. I'm sorry if that, you know, makes me a bad church planner, but the, I would say, um, I was thinking in two directions when you asked your question, what, what natural like things am I coming with? What resources am I coming with into planting that like I, I, I adapted for the planting context. Um, and then what they, what also resources have I found since? And so, um, I mean, this is a long time ago, but like I, a part of my, just who I am and who I've always been, I, I, I love to host people. I love to plan events. I love, um, I love to, I love to gather people. And so that was something I did when I, when I was super laity. I mean, maybe call me that before then, when I was super invested in a church, I wanted to be the place where people, I wanted to be the house where people came. I wanted to be the place where people gathered. And, and I also wanted to make it, um, engaging and interesting and fun. And so, I didn't ever think about the fact that when I become a church planter, I would be a glorified uh, event planner and community organizer. Um, I mean, that's our reality. (laughs) It is. I mean, but you know, so much now that I don't host any Christmas parties or any, I post no personal parties in my own life. (laughs) I refuse. People are like, you want, what do you want to do for Christmas? You want to do? No, I have no desire. (laughs) I'm planning like 10 parties for the church. I'm done. Um, So that kind of skill set, came in handy. Um, like I never thought it would. And then, um, the people, it's the people that have come along my path that have been my resources. Um, so I've had two, I'm now, um, being coached by a second person, Nicole Riley. Um, and, and and so Nicole, Nicole. yeah, Nicole's wonderful. Um, before that, my coach was Trey Hall and, um, I love Trey. I know. Don't we just love them? Catch Ray's Trey shout out. Yeah. And so, <laughs> I'm sure he gets a lot of shout outs on this podcast. Uh, I, and then, so Trey taught me resource, huge resource, um, the, the gift of, of one-on-ones. It's a simple thing, but if anybody knows Trey, they'll know, they know him for his one-on-ones. They know that, um, as, and I don't, I don't do them like I used to do them because I'm now de- knee deep in an admin stuff related to Kingstown, but the, the, the gift of sitting down across from somebody in 45 minutes, being able to glean the kind of information, um, that you need from them, um, and to know what, what you can offer them and what they can offer you and to also get a list of other names so you can go have more one-on-ones that 45 minute process has been crucial to, to church planting. And then, um, Nicole Riley has, I haven't, she hasn't been my, my, uh, my coach very long, but, um, I'm, we used to, we, we would make these, these spreadsheets of strategy plans where if we had this number of people in worship, that would mean we would have this amount of money, um, coming in and, 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 and giving and, and this grows in this amount by this year, we will have this number of people and this amount of giving and, and that's where we'll be. Um, and what we've learned is the number of people in worship does not directly correlate (laughs) to the giving that comes in. So 
our giving was wow, that's growing. Different from other contexts. That's like so awesome. To so hear. like our giving was growing by like thirty seven percent, and our the number of people was growing by like ten percent in the year. It was not. It was not equitable. Equitable, and then. And, and so we also had huge amounts of people giving from online. And so what Nicole has helped me do in, in really wonderful ways is improve the way we are doing fundraising and seeing it not as um, related to in-person, but butts and seats, um, but um, in, in other ways and challenging me to, to make big asks and challenging me to spend a whole lot more time on fundraising than I've ever have before. Um, this past stewardship, and I hate, you know, nobody wants to talk about stewardship, but I think it's super important for um, planters to talk about it. I can't believe, like, I cannot believe she challenged me and I did it, but like I hunkered down for four days and wrote individual letters to every single person in my church. I mean, an individual letter, not a form letter, <laughs> a, a letter just to them, personalized to them, thanking them for what they do, how I see them engage, whether they're engaged online or in person, what I know they're passionate about and how much I'm asking them to give. She challenged me to do that. It took me four solid days in my PJs. Like I was probably hadn't brushed my teeth in like two days. I was just like, letter, 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 letter. <laughs> but like, but because of that, our growth and and um, financial giving has exceeded what we ever thought it could, and the number of people in seats is not like. And y'all, we all, everybody who's listening understands this whole like, why aren't there more people in seats? Um, it's not, but it doesn't mean you can't be sustainable. So, I mean, to be completely transparent, our church is averaging in worship in the upper 80s to er, to, to low 90s, and we're going to be completely um, self sustaining this year. When everybody always told me that I needed 125 people in my seats at least to be self-sustaining. So it's the numbers aren't, I don't know this, the, the, these numbers are just <laughs> the old numbers. Why those old numbers. The old numbers and I remember game. my first coach before Trey, he told me I couldn't even have, I couldn't even have a first preview service until I had 300 email contacts. Like that, like bogus. The numbers have been so, you know, it's just, <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm learning. Yeah. Um, I will say just one thing, development and fundraising is not something that churches teach a lot of no. to pastors no. and to their de to their own demise. Um, I, my wife is a fundraiser um, and I happen to work at a church where um, talking about generosity is a value um, because generosity is shown in many ways, not just in your financial giving. Um, I will, let me, I'd, I'd like to add one more resource and that is, is it Christian Coons? Is that his name? He wrote failure. Failing Courage. boldly. Failing boldly. Yes. What a great book. Yeah. And I, I tell you, I think I might've wept. Well, I weep at everything. Uh, oh, but you're I'm, a four in the Enneagram. Well, I'm a seven. Oh, you're a seven. But I'm totally <gasps> in touch with my feelings. Yes, so, you are. Um, uh, or at least someone told me that of an hour ago, uh, which is great because <laughs> it, it could be the vodka y'all. Um, and, but his book failing boldly, uh, uh, it gave me, it literally gave me permission to take more risks. And I mm. needed that because, you know, especially, you know, it's so funny for church planters. We are, um, we are much more scrutinized. Uh, we, there's much more yeah. oversight over us. Um, and, uh, I think I, I don't, I can't speak for others, but you know, I really feel the pressure of that. Yeah. Um, so being able to hear from someone who is successful and yet, 
um, has said, this is where I've done well, this is where I've really struggled, um, was really helpful. Yeah. Wow. So shout out. I hope I you listen to this. So I was also going to say, Reverend just Coons. not to just shout out to a whole bunch of coaches and other pastors. Um, the, the, some of the people I learned the most from are other business owners in my community. Um, one of the most valuable relationships I have is with the owner of Nall's Produce, where we have a, a, a community partnership. And she, at 30 years old was tasked with taking over the 60 year old business from her from her family and bringing it into the 21st century so a business that's just like you know a barn and some pumpkins she had to introduce crop share and introduce event plan and how do i bring people onto my property and and trying to figure out and so we talk about i i when i see her i ask her how much has she made it this month have you like have you have you cleared have you cleared what you need to clear this month and she asked me hey are you are you are you making enough money to be able to afford to keep this church open next year. And that is such a reality that I don't get from other pastors. I get it from other business owners. And so I glor- I kind of, in this funny way, call myself a pastorpreneur, right? Like this is what we are. Pastorpreneur. Like Pastorpreneurs. That's what we Copyright are. Copyright that, Michelle. Pastorpreneurs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, All right. We've just been uh, notified by the great Mike Bachman that I guess that did not originate here in this podcast. No, it didn't. Oh, and... <laughs> TM on the back. I thought we were cool. Okay. Um, so final question. It might be too soon, so we might not share your response to this. And very briefly, while we wait for Mike to leave, chips. eating his sour cream chips. Um, say something want- profound. Stop chewing your chips. Okay. Get out. All right. Um, so Mike's gone. <laughs> uh, so you are, we're, we have this ability to sit and talk and share because you're on this early Methodism pilgrimage. And one of the reasons that we decided to offer this was because a lot of the trainings, as you said, in strategy things are not always as helpful as just realizing you're part of a tribe and having relationships and time to learn and reflect together. Has this been helpful or not? Like, what's a takeaway that you have that you think could be helpful to other Methodist planters out there? So, so it's it's been um, it's been it's been uh, soul refreshing, like sitting down with a beer with another pastor who is doing the same thing with you as you are and and gets like how hard it is and 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 gets when you're talking about numbers that it's not competition. Like there's a lot of factors in this, right? Like When you sit down with somebody for a beer, it's always like. What are you, how, how's your worship attendance? Because you're secretly asking them. Because are you, you modern wanna, or traditional? Because you want to compare it to what your worship attendance is. Oh, you're 91. I'm 93. Yeah, we've that's got a drummer right now. That's we got. Plays the that's right. Um, what about you? What, what about you? Uh, so, but it, it, like, there's something that feels so good and so refreshing when you just sit across from somebody who just is sharing. That's what this feels like. That's what it feels like to walk through these churches and to be um, just mingling with the saints of church planting. Like it feels like I'm sitting across the table with them with a beer and they're not judging how many people I have or they just are like, yeah, I get it. It's hard. And it's also really cool. And like, you can do really cool, you know, like that's what it feels like. I don't know how to explain it any other way, but that, yeah. and that's not, we don't get much of that. Yeah. In church planning. No. 
yeah, there's such a there's such a numbers game and a let me see where you are type situation, especially with church planters, um, because again, it's a lot of that oversight and stuff. I I, I tell you, um, you know, we had this experience at uh, Lovely Lane United Methodist Church where we had this opportunity to kind of each offer up something, and I uh, usually have no problem coming up with something to say, um, but I was really struggling and part of that was um you know as church planters what we're trying to do is um you know, i don't want to say bring new life to communities or you know build faith communities like I, I think i think we know what church planting is and 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 all that um but the there's so much more what hit me was there's so much more reconciliation that needs to happen mm-hmm. and you know, the church has this gift of Jesus and the gift of the Holy Spirit that allows us to do really radical things like forgiveness and reconciliation and, and serving communion, yeah. even when you don't have ordination right. rights to do it. And telling right? people about grace yeah. and mercy and helping people recognize that their stories are locked in tight with stories that happened thousands of years ago. Yeah. Um, and, and yet with that, there's a lot of joy, but there's still a lot of hurt and a lot of suffering and isolation and loneliness and despair. And, uh, and each of our each of our communities have the both and they have the joy, they have the moments of beauty and they have the really hard things like sitting down with somebody who's struggling through a cancer diagnosis or meeting with somebody who's fleeing from a domestic abuse situation, but also seeing like a kid who, you know, foregoes Christmas presents or birthday presents to give money to a shelter. And you just, so you get to live in the, in the tension of joy and despair and helping people, helping point people to the kingdom. And that is really effing dope. Absolutely. And that's what I, it's so effing dope. And I, (laughs) I I would normally say the F word, but I'd probably get in trouble. You're being discipleship ministries appropriate. And for that, I'm grateful. Eternally Thank you. grateful. Yes, I'll probably um, still get in trouble for this. Well, but I'm so uh, no, <laughs> no, you're you're effing dope. Beep. We're good. We're good. Um, beep. Um, I am so grateful that you guys came on this. I'm grateful for the work you're doing. I'm just grateful to be a colleague with you in the Virginia Conference. So, um, if you guys have any questions for Jake or Michelle, or if there's anyone else whose voice needs to be heard and I should be talking to, feel free to shoot me an email at rgilmore at umcdiscipleship.org. And we'll put you in touch. So thank you guys again for your time, for joining us. And we hope you guys tune in next week for our next episode of Field Preachers. Thanks so much. Field Preachers podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.